0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Psalm 90, the book of Psalms and the 90th chapter. We'll look at a few verses as a text and then a few others in and around the text as we get into the message this morning. But Psalms and chapter 90 this morning. I'd like to read verse 9 down to verse 12, if I can, Psalm 90, and verse number 9. The Bible says, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath, we spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. It's a lot easier to spend money than it is to earn money. A little kid is good at spending money, right? When you're a little kid, boy, you want everything. I remember my parents who had take me to a store sometimes and they would say you go play in the toy aisle we'll pick you up when we're ready to go and I would go over that toy aisle and man all that stuff I wanted all of it and by the time they returned I had three or four things I was ready to buy and my parents say no no put it back put it back we don't we we can't afford it Uh, my parents would say money doesn't grow on trees well duh I had figured that out you know Now today, you have to say money doesn't come from machines, because if you tell your kids you don't have any money, they'll point to a machine and say, well, go get some, right? (laughs) Uh, but, But children don't understand, you have to put money into the machine before you can take money out of the machine. Now once you get a job, you begin to earn some wages, now you're starting to understand what it takes to earn in order to spend. The Bible tells us here in this chapter we are spending our life. We're not earning any bonus minutes by coming to church today. We're spending time in church today. Someone may ask you tomorrow, how did you spend your weekend? Someone will say, how did you spend your vacation? We are spending our life. As a tale that is told and in this chapter the psalmist reminds us of three very important truths when it comes to this stash of cash we call time or life notice first of all the source of life if you live to be 70 And the Bible records here that that's the average lifespan of a person, 70 years. Three score, a score is 20. So three of those plus 10, three score and 10, 70 years. Now, we understand some people live a lot less than that. Some people live much more than that. But the average is 70. So if you live to be 70, you have 25,550 days to spend. If you live to be 70, you have 613,200 hours to spend. If you live to be 70, you have 36,792,000 minutes to spend. Now, where does all this come from? Well, it comes from God, doesn't it? Life is a gift from God, and the psalmist recognizes that up in verse number one. He says, Lord... Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. We understand that life comes from God. Uh, life is something that God gives to us to steward and, and to, to live. Now, this God who gives us life, the psalmist reminds us, is an eternal God. Look at verse 2. He says, Before the mountains were brought forth... Or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you, I cannot humanly wrap my brain around the eternality of God. I can understand how something that exists right now has the potential to exist for a long time. For, For example, this pen. It's a real object. It's it's not tangible. It's not something in my imagination. It's not intangible. It's it's a real object. I can can feel it. I can see it. It's real. It's a real pen. Now, this pen has the potential to last a long time. It probably won't. It's a cheap West Coast Baptist College pen. (laughs) It'll run out of ink. I'll throw it away. Uh, I might lose it, or I might give it away, but I could put it in a vault. I could put it in some kind of a, a safekeeping, and we go to museums and see things that are thousands of years old. So something that exists right now, in my mind, I can understand how this could continue to exist for a very long time, but how do you understand that this has always existed? But that's God. God has no beginning. He has no ending. He's eternal. From everlasting to everlasting. Uh, He is the Lord. God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are his everlasting arms. Aren't you glad that your life is in the eternal hand of God this morning? Everything in life is so temporal, it's so fickle, it comes and it goes. But our God is eternal. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, which is, which was, and which is to come. The eternal God holds our life this morning. But notice, not only is he an eternal God, he's an excellent God. Look at verse number 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return ye, children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it's past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. There is a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath, and we troubled. As the psalmist considers the eternality of God, he then looks at himself and says, we're like grass. We we grow up, and then we fade. We, 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 We falter, and we die. But God is not only an eternal God, he's an excellent God. God never fades. He, he, never, he never passes away. He never diminishes. His power is no less significant today than it ever has been. God is an, is an excellent God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He. And aren't you glad that God has an excellent plan for your life? His will for your life is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Hard to improve on perfect. You, know, you get a perfect score on a test, it's harder to do better than that. And God's will, God's plan for our life is a perfect plan. Why? Because He's an excellent God. But not only is God eternal and excellent, God is an enlightened God. Look at verse number eight. He says, thou hast set our iniquities before thee. Our secret sins are in the light of thy countenance. There's nothing in our life that is hidden from God. Now, we might hide some things from each other. Certainly, you don't know everything there is to know about me, and I don't know everything there is to know about you. And that would be true of every person in my life. They don't know everything about me, but God does. God is an enlightened God. We can't hide anything from God. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the darkness shall be light about me. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. You see, there's nothing hid that shall not be revealed. There's nothing hid from God that will one day not be made manifest. Uh, uh, God knows everything. There's nothing covered that shall not be revealed. God knows everything about our life. Did you know he even knows our thoughts? Now, I don't know what you're thinking right now. Your mind could be on this afternoon or it could be on next week. Your mind could be anywhere. But God knows our thoughts. The Bible says in Genesis chapter six that God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great upon the earth and that the imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. David said to his son Solomon in in 1 Chronicles 28 verse nine, he said, "Uh, uh, uh, God, God knoweth the thoughts and the imaginations of your heart. In fact, in Ezekiel 11 verse five, God says, I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. We've never had an attitude. We've never had a desire. We've never had a motive that God didn't know. He's aware of everything. Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight, but all things are open and naked under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So this source of life, God, he's eternal. He's excellent. He's enlightened. And he holds our life. In his hand this morning but not only does the psalmist teach us about the source of life he then reminds us of the stipend of life now when I went to college I don't know that I would have been able to define the word stipend maybe I'd heard the word I don't remember but I don't think I could have defined it but when I went to college I I started playing football and and uh, in high school, you have football games, playing football, you have home games, you have away games, and usually our away games were maybe about a 30-minute bus ride, sometimes an hour, and we'd play a game, we'd come back the same day. And, and, uh, but in college, boy, those away games, sometimes we were gone for a couple of days, sometimes a whole week to play a game. And, and we'd have to load up all our gear and get our stuff, and we'd come out to a bus, and, and there'd always be somebody standing there at the foot of the stairs of the bus uh, from the finance office. And as we got on that bus, they would hand us, hand us an envelope. And inside the envelope was some money. See, in college, you pay your, your, your tuition. That covers your teacher's salaries. It covers your curriculum. It, it, it covers basically the educational process. And, and then you pay room and board. Uh, where you going to sleep in the dorms and what you're going to eat in the, in the cafeteria. And so uh, uh, we had paid all that, but we weren't going to be there. We weren't going to be able to eat in the cafeteria or sleep in the dorm. So they gave us money to pay for those things on the road. It was called a per diem or a stipend. I was standing in an airport one day waiting for a flight and the the flight was a little bit late and so people were kind of all standing and just kind of waiting and I I was looking over the crowd I always like to see who I'm flying with you know and I'm looking at the crowd and there was a there was a young man standing he was texting on his phone and he was really tall he's probably in his maybe early 20s He, he was really tall and I thought boy that kid is really tall and so I wanted to kind of see how tall he was, and so I kind of, I kind of slowly kind of walked over toward him, you know, to kind of, kind of measure myself up to him, you know. And, and I got over close enough where I could speak to him, and he put his phone down for a second, and I said, uh, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, do you play basketball? He said, as a matter of fact, I do. He'd probably been asked that a thousand times, you know. He was 6'10". And uh, I said, really, where do you play? And he he played at the University of California up in Berkeley. And uh, uh, so we talked a little bit about basketball and a little bit about life, and and I found out that he was Christian. In fact, his father was a pastor of a Bible church in the state of Nevada. And so we started talking about the Lord, and we were having some good fellowship there, as we waited for the plane. Well, in the process of that conversation, I said, his name was Scott, I said, now Scott, when you travel for the University of California, they, they give you a per diem, they give you like a stipend when you go on the road, right? He said, oh yeah. I said, how much do they give you? Ah, I was just curious. He said, well, it depends on where we're playing. If we're playing in a big city like LA or San Francisco or Denver or someplace like that, it costs more. If we're playing in a smaller town, they give us a little bit less, but he said it averages out to about $75 a meal. I said, $75 a meal? Wow, no wonder the state of California is bankrupt. (laughs) You know how much they gave us when I was playing football? Now, this was back in the Old Testament, okay? But when I was playing football, they gave us 75 cents a meal. 75 cents! And you could go to McDonald's. Now, there weren't very many of them. In fact, the closest McDonald's to our college when I went to college was 40 miles away. They were just starting to come on the scene. But we would often stop at that McDonald's coming back from a game. And you could go in there and buy what we would call a value meal, a Big Mac, fries, and a Coke. You could buy that for under 75 cents. They give you change back. Did you know that God has given us a stipend of life? The Bible says there's a time to be born in Ecclesiastes 3 2, and a time to die. Mm-hmm. See, you all have a birthday, right? Robbie, when's your birthday? November 16th. November 16th. Pastor, when's your birthday? February the 2nd. February the 2nd, coming up soon, a few days, this week. <laughs> Brother Kim, when's your birthday? June 20th. 20th. Got a little time for his. (laughs) We all have a birthday, right? Did you know we all have a death day? Now, we don't know when it is. But there's a time to be born and a time to die. We have to understand, we don't die because we get old. We don't die because we get sick. We don't die because we meet an unfortunate accident. We die because it is appointed unto men wants to die. Job said, is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Are not his days as the days of an hireling? The eye that has seen me shall see me no more. Thy eyes are upon me, and I am not. Just as you would hire somebody to do a job for a certain amount of time to get the work accomplished, so God has given us a stipend of life. And our story has an ending. Did you notice he said, we spend our years as a tale that is told, in verse 9. But our story has an ending. If you ever read a biography, it's fun to read about someone's life and all the things they accomplished. But there's always a last chapter. There's usually one chapter that tells about their death. Our story has an ending. When we started West Coast Baptist College, we decided we we needed to put together a singing group, a group that could travel and represent the college, go out and sing on the weekends or during the summer, you know, and present the ministry of the college and let people know about it and be a blessing to churches. And so we only had 43 students the first year, and I thought, well, do we have any talent? You know, I mean the talent pool was kind of shallow and I I thought, do we have do we have the talent to put together a team like that? Well, we did some auditions and some people tried out and we chose six girls. And, and three of them could play the piano very well, and two of them played a flute, and all of them could sing, and they blended together really well, and, and, and we, were really, we were really pleasantly surprised. We started putting this group together and working on a repertoire of music and got them all set to travel for the summer, and, and uh, one of the ladies in the office, she booked them in a church every night for seven weeks during the summer they were going to travel go to these churches sing and present the college and try to get young people interested in coming to west coast you know we got that all said and then pastor chapel said now get you're going to travel with them i said me with six girls in a van for seven weeks are you kidding wow all six of those girls were, were extroverts. They were nonstop conversation. Now, I'm an introvert by nature. I, I, I don't have to talk. I, 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 if you see me sitting down here all by myself, please don't feel sorry for me. I'm having a time of my life. I, 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 don't, I don't need to talk to be happy, okay? So I'm an introvert by nature. I have imaginary friends, I have a shirt at home that says my imaginary friend doesn't like you either. But anyway, uh, I'm an introvert. Well, these girls were extroverts, and they talked the whole time in the van. I mean, when I'd pick them up in the morning, they were already into a conversation. And the whole trip, they would just talk, talk, talk. And I would drive and learn. I I would learn, you know. I'd hear all these things. Well, when you travel in a van with seven people, you have to have rules, I mean, you got to be on time. We got to leave at a certain time. You got to be here. You got to have your stuff together because we got to get to the next church. And you got to keep the van clean. You can't just be trash in the van. You got to keep your area clean. We had all these rules. And if you broke a rule, like if you were late, we would fine them, like 25 cents or 50 cents or something, you know, to kind of put some teeth in the rule. So we're going along. We'd traveled about three and a half weeks and everything was going great. And one day, we had an early morning departure. It was 5 o'clock in the morning. We had to leave the parking lot of the church. They had to be there, ready to go. We had a long trip. And everybody got there on time. We got the van packed up. We got in. We had prayer. We started out of the parking lot. And one of the girls said, I have a new rule we need to vote on. All right, let's hear it. She said, well, I've noticed that when we have these early morning deals. She said, we're, we're always a little bit grouchy. We're kind of in a bad mood. And we start complaining. We complain we didn't get enough sleep or the bed was hard or we didn't get any breakfast. And we start complaining. And she said, we ought not to do that. We, we, we get to serve the Lord, we get to travel all over the place, see all these things. And, and she said, we, we ought to be encouraged, we ought to be excited, we, we should not be complaining or, or, or negative. And so she said, I think we should have a rule that if somebody in the van is talking and someone else in the van doesn't like what's being said, they can say the end. and the person has to stop talking or pay a dollar. I like this rule. (laughs) I like this rule a lot. I wish this was a rule for all of society. Well, we talked about it for a little bit, and and really, quite frankly, I thought this is a good rule. I mean, I I can tend to be a little negative in the morning, too. I can be in a bad mood, and I don't want to say something that discourages these girls, and if I did, they should be able to call me on it, right? And so I I thought this is a good rule. We kind of talked about it for a while, and we voted. and We voted 7-0. So now there's a rule that if somebody's talking and someone else doesn't like what's being said, they can say the end. And they have to stop or pay a dollar. Well, we went on down the road. And about an hour or so later, there was a girl in the group. Her name was Cassie. Now, Cassie was a sweet girl, very nice girl, very godly girl. She's on the mission field today, serving the Lord. But Cassie was, well, she was an extrovert. She loved to talk, but she was, um, well, have you ever had somebody tell you a joke and it would have been funny if they hadn't told it. That was Cassie. She loved to talk, but she, she was dull. She was boring. She had no color to her speech. And, and, and when she would talk, it was like someone droning on and on. Well, Cassie started into this story. She starts telling this story, just droning along. And I looked in the mirror. All the girls were kind of rolling their eyes like, here goes Cassie again. And then I caught the eye of the girl who made the rule she had a little twinkle in her eye and i thought oh no and sure enough she let cassie go for about five minutes and then she said the end <laughs> and cassie had to stop talking it was great it was awesome the rest of that summer anytime cassie would say i remember the time we'd say the end and cassie would have to stop she'd slink down the seat start crying it was great it was awesome you know, I see all six of those girls quite often and, and they're all serving the Lord today and we always have good fellowship when we're around each other. And, and that story always comes up. We always laugh about that. But you know what? One of these days, we're going to be going through our life and God's going to say, the end. But, but, but God, I, I'm not saved yet the end but, but, but god i i i'm a little behind on my bible reading the end but, but god i was i, I was going to invite my neighbors to church no. the end your story has an ending your strength has an expiration you notice that there in the next verse, if, if you get four score years, if you live to be 80, if God is gracious and gives you an extra 10 years, yet is there strength labor and sorrow? I'm starting to realize what that means. Because I'm, I'm approaching that decade of my 70s. Within a few days now, I'll have lived my three score and ten. And I always wonder, what does that mean? Your strength is labor and sorrow in that extra 10 years. And I'll tell you, the labor is not what you do for the Lord. That's still exciting. That's still fun. I enjoy what I get to do more than ever in my life. But I'll tell you what, the labor is the physical part of it. It gets harder to get out of bed in the morning. It just gets harder to live. And the sorrow is you're seeing those around you passing away. I've lost three of my colleagues, people that I've known for fifty years. I've lost three people in my life that are good friends in the last two weeks. They're gone, and there's sorrow with that. You see, our strength has an expiration. We, we as we get older, we can't do the things we did when we were younger. That strength begins to die out. The voice said, uh, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is as grass. The glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower falleth, but the, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. You see, we don't have that strength that we once did to serve as we thought we should. We have a stipend of life. But then I want you to see, thirdly, not only the source of life, the stipend of life, But with that in mind, now the psalmist in verse 12 turns our attention to the spending of our life. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And he gives us some wonderful advice here. In verse 14, he says, make your days count early. He says, oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Could I say something to the young people here this, this morning? Those of you that are maybe teenagers or, or uh, 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 grade school young people or maybe single adults, can I tell you something? Don't wait to serve God. Don't say, well, you know, when I get out of high school, I'll get serious about God. Or when I get married, then I'll, I'll settle down and serve the Lord. No, don't wait. Remember now, thy creator, in the days of thy youth. All the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Listen, there are a lot of people that are old and crusty like me that could care less about God. They could care less about the Bible. They could care less about church. You know why? Because they didn't care about it when they were your age. See, bad habits are hard to break. Have you noticed that? <laughs> well, you get in a habit, it's hard to break that habit. But good habits are hard to break. I started going to church nine months before I was born. And I've pretty much been in church almost every day of my life as an evangelist. And you know what? That's a good habit. That's hard to break. Pastor Chapel sometimes he'll move our midweek services to an off night. Like he'll, he'll move it to Tuesday night instead of Wednesday night. You know, Thanksgiving week, he does that. He moves, he moves it all to Tuesday night. It's kind of fun, you know. you got to get an email. Hey, don't forget, church tonight, 7 o'clock, different night, Tuesday. And come, we're going to have a great time. And you go, it's fun, it's exciting, it's something different. And then Wednesday comes, 7 o'clock. You're like, what am I supposed to do now? I always go to church now. What am I supposed to do? I can't go to Walmart. Somebody might see me. I'm supposed to be in church. My wife and I, we go in our house, we shut off all the lights, we lock the door and hope Jesus doesn't come to at least 8.15 because we're supposed to be in church. It's just kind of weird, isn't it? Because good habits are hard to break. Young people, listen, if you'll start reading your Bible now as a young person, you won't struggle with that when you're 40. See, if you'll start tithing now, As a young person, the monies that come your way, you won't struggle when pastor gets up and preaches on giving. If you'll start witnessing now to your friends in the neighborhood or at school or whatever, if you'll start witnessing, you won't struggle with guilt when the pastor says, hey, we should go out and go soul winning and tell people about Christ. Good habits are hard to break. So get in those habits while you're young. And those of us that are older, make your day count early. I know that not all of us are morning people. There are chickens and there are owls, okay? I work with college students. College students are all morning people. I mean, they are morning people. As long as morning starts at 10.30, (laughs) you know. College students are awake and ready to go at 11 o'clock at night. I mean, you wanna have a good activity, have it after curfew, they'll all show up. I mean, they're, they're night people. We're not all, you know, out of bed, boy, serving God, first thing we hit the floor, you know, we're ready to go. No, some of us are a little groggy in the morning, and that might not be the best time to read your Bible. That may not be the best time to have your quiet time with the Lord. It is for me, but it may not be for you. But at least start the day with the Lord. At least acknowledge Him when you get out of bed. Maybe get one of these songs that we sing at church going through your mind. Maybe take one of the prayer requests that you've heard at church, someone that's in the hospital or facing a surgery, and pray for them first thing in the morning. You know what? It'll help you all the way through the day if you'll make your day count early for the Lord. So he says, make your days count early. Then he says, make your days count in evil. Look at verse 15. He said, make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Listen, don't have this spirit that, well, you know, the days are bad, everything's going downhill, and we just got to wait till the Lord comes back. No, the fact that the days are evil doesn't give us a pass on serving the Lord. You've heard your pastor say, redeeming the time. We need to redeem the time. Well, why? Rest of the verse. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. See, the fact that the days are evil doesn't, doesn't say, well, okay, we can shrink back now and not, not mention Jesus or not, not go to church or not, not get involved. No, we need to let our light shine that men may see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Did you know that all of the darkness in this world cannot put out one light? But one light can dispel a lot of darkness. So let your light shine. You may be the only Christian in your family. Let your light shine. You may be the only Christian in your school. Let your light shine. You may be the only one in your office where you work that that is a Christian, a believer. Let your light shine. Make your days count in evil. And then he says, make your days count for eternity. Look Look at verse 16. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us, yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Make your days count for eternity. Someone has said, if you want your life to last, live it for something that will outlast it. You want your life to count, live it for something that outlasts it. Well, what's going to outlast our life? Well, it's not this. Because this, I'm leaving this when I leave, right? Can't take this with you. So, this isn't going to outlast my life. Well, what about success or fame? Uh eh, I couldn't tell you who won the Super Bowl four years ago. Seemed kind of important at the time. But I don't, I don't remember. So, so it's not fame. So what's going to outlast our life? There's only one answer. The souls of people. The only thing we're taking with us when we leave are other people. So what on our to-do list has to do with that? If you're like me, you get a lot of things on your to-do list. You probably already have a list started for this coming week, and boy, I need to do this on Monday, and I need to get this done by Friday, and I've I got to take care of this. I've got to go here and do that and be here. And we get a to-do list together. And it's all important. It's all necessary. We've got to work and we've got to take care of our families and we've got to have meetings and all these things. But sometimes we've got to take a step back and look at that to-do list and say, what does anything on here have to do with eternity? And getting someone else into eternity in heaven. Several years ago now I was asked to do a men's retreat out at Camp Ironwood. Camp Ironwood is out in Newberry Springs, California. It's about two hours from the campus of West Coast. And the retreat was going to start on Thursday at 5 and go through Saturday at noon. Well, normally if I'm that close, I'll, I'll drive back and forth, you know, and, and uh, teach my classes in the morning and, and, then, and then preach at night and then come back and do the same thing the next day. But, but, but the director of the camp, he had asked if I would do some workshops on Friday morning. And uh, I I agreed, and so I thought, well, there's no sense coming back home uh, Thursday night after the service uh, if I'm going to have to be back out there at 8 o'clock the next morning. So I told him I'll just stay at the camp. They have accommodations there for the speakers and so on, and so I I was happy to do that. Well, Thursday came, and and I took care of some things in the office after classes, and I didn't get away until 3 o'clock. Jumped in the car and drove out to Ironwood, arrived right at five, and the men were going into the dining hall for the evening meal. There were about 200 men that had gathered, and I jumped out of the car and went in with them, and we had a great time, a fellowship, and a wonderful meal. And all of a sudden, the director of the camp, he stepped to the mic and he said, uh, all right, gentlemen, he said, our service starts in five minutes down at the meeting hall. And so grab your Bibles and let's get down there. We got two speakers tonight. We got Brother Getz preaching first. And, and, and I thought, oh boy, it's time for the service already. Time had just passed so quickly. Well, I ran out to my car and I got my Bible out of my backpack and I had my sermon in there. I knew I was preaching that night. I didn't know I was to be first, but I, I had my sermon. So I went down there to the, to the auditorium for the service. We had a great time. And of course, at camp, you don't worry about the clock. You just, you just have a good time. We had skits and music and, and preaching. And it all ended about ten fifteen. Well, I was headed out of the meeting hall and, and the director of the camp, his name was Sam. He said, uh, Brother Gatch have you been to your cabin yet? And I said, no, uh, I got here a little bit late, but I said, I, I'm good, I know where it's at. At Ironwood, they have this, this cement block building, and it's got four like bedrooms in it, and then it's got kind of a community kitchen and little living area there, and that's where the speakers stay. And they usually put your name on a piece of paper on the door that's your bedroom, and I had gone through this before, and so I said, I'm good, I, I know where I'm headed. And he said, no, no, I'll walk with you. I felt bad. I mean, he's the director of the camp. He's got all these other things to attend to. I said, no, Sam, it's okay. I, he said, no, no, I want to walk with you. So we headed out. It's about 10.15, 10, 10.30. 10, it's dark. You can't hardly see anything out there in the middle of nowhere. We're walking. And he's talking. He's just rejoicing in the number of men that came and the good decisions that night. And he was just excited. And We're going up this hill, but we're going the wrong way. And I'm thinking, do I tell him? I mean, he's the director of the camp. He should know where we're going. But we're going the the opposite direction of where this cabin is. And so we're walking along. He's just talking, talking, talking. And finally, we get about halfway up the hill, and he says, well, here we are. And I looked, and here was a cabin I'd never seen before. It looked brand new. And he said, well, I guess you can pull your car down here. This, this cabin's all for you. You can just bring your car down here and everything's in there you need. There's a, there's a bed, there's a shower, there's a phone. There's, we got all our phone numbers listed there on the staff. If you need anything at all, there's a desk in there. Everything you need should be in there. If you need anything, just let us know. Here's the key. I was dumbfounded. I thought, wow, I get this all to myself. I don't have to go up to that other place and listen to everybody else snore tonight. I get, I get my own cabin. This is amazing. So I went up and got my car, pulled it down there and unloaded my stuff. It's like 1045 now. I'm tired. And I, I put my stuff in the room and I went to bed. Next morning I got up and I didn't go to breakfast. I, I was preaching these workshops and I had my materials ready, but I sat at the desk there and had my time with the Lord and prayer. And then I started going over those workshops. There were four of them that I was going to teach that morning and I wanted to make sure I had it all straight. And at 8 o'clock I went down, taught the first workshop, and then 9, 10, 11, by noon I was ready for lunch, ready for some, maybe some recreation in the afternoon I was looking forward to. And I walked out of the meeting hall, and I'm headed up to my cabin to put my Bible away and get to lunch. I was, I was hungry and ready to go, and I'm walking up that hill, and I hear, I hear a voice behind me, Brother Gatch, Brother Gatch. Well, I kind of turned, and there was a man running to catch up, and he got up next to me, and he, he said, Brother Gatch, I, I I have kind of an unusual request. Now, I tried not to show it, but in my heart, I thought, oh, no. I'm going to miss lunch. I, I, I've been here before, you know. And so I, I said, uh, okay, well, what, how can I help you? He said, could I go in your cabin? Well, that was a little unusual. I was trying to remember if I made the bed. I said, sir. Tears began filling his eyes. He said, "Brother Gads, did you notice the picture and the plaque in your room?" I, I, I said, I, I, don't, I, don't, "I don't guess I did. I, I got in kind of late last night. I really didn't look around this morning. A, a picture, a plaque." Mm-hmm. Tears are now streaming down his face. He said, "Brother Gads, your cabin is is named after my son." He was killed four years ago today. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Your son? How old was he? 15. I said, you, you said he was killed. How? He said, Brother I guess it was a Wednesday. And the youth pastor had asked the teens to sing that night in church and wanted them to come 30 minutes early to do a final practice Our son didn't have our driver's license yet, but a friend who was 16 in the youth group, a good friend, a good family, he volunteered to pick Jacob up and and take him early so we wouldn't have to go in early to church. We allowed it. They, They were driving to church for that practice and a drunk hit them and Jake didn't make it. He said, Brother Gatch, at the funeral, our friends and Church members gathered and they gave us cards and so on of sympathy. And, and uh, we got home and we started reading those cards and many of them included some money. And he said, we, did, we, didn't, we didn't need money. He said, we had an insurance policy, a life insurance policy and all of our children. And when Jacob died, we, we had enough money to pay for the funeral and all those costs. And so now we had this money. My wife and I, we thought, what, 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 what will we do with this? We, we need to do something that we could remember Jacob by. And they thought of the camp. Jacob, he said, loved it out here. He, he was called to preach out here. In fact, he, he said he would have been a freshman at West Coast this year. He loved preaching and couldn't wait to learn how to do it. He said, we, we decided let's give the money to the camp as a memorial for our son. He said, Brother Gatch, we had no idea, but the camp had been praying that they could build a, a separate cabin for the keynote speakers at camp, a little more privacy than the other place. And there was enough money to build your cabin. And he said, they put a picture of Jacob in there and a plaque, and he said, since it was four years ago today, I just wondered if I could go in there for a minute. We were at the door now, and I was taking the key and and unlocking and pushing the door back, and I set my Bible on a chair inside the room, and I said, sir, you, you go right ahead. I'll wait out here. I sat down on the porch, and he went inside. I don't think he was in there more than 10 or 15 minutes. It seemed longer, but probably 10 or 15 minutes, and pretty soon he came out, and he was wiping the tears, and I said, sir, anytime this week, anytime while I'm here, you, you're just welcome to knock and I'll, I'll vacate. You, you can spend whatever time you want in there. He thanked me and he went on to lunch. Boy, now I walked in that cab and I wanted to see that picture and that plaque. And there it was. If I'd left the light on the night before and laid down in the bed, it, it would have been looking right at me. I walked over and I looked at that 15 year old boy. And I read the plaque, and here's what it said. In loving memory of Jacob Ryan Castro, 1990 to 2005. Jacob was a camper and is now in heaven. To God be the glory. This plaque is here to remind each reader that every camper has a soul and that every soul will spend eternity somewhere. Nothing in this world is as important as the people you meet. One soul is worth more than the whole world. For what is man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? One is worth more than all. Friend, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, your soul is worth more than this whole world to God. And he wants you to become his child. And he will save you today. And Christian, if that's true, and it is, then do we need to rearrange some priorities in our life this week to make sure that we're about things that have to do with eternity, the souls of men? Every person we meet has a soul it's going to spend somewhere in eternity only one life will soon be passed only what's done for christ will last